Hey, you found the Rebirth Podcast. I'm Kate, your guide here. In this podcast, we talk about real life stories, what happens when you let go and let life lead. If you're new here, welcome. You found a fabulous episode to make your entrance into rebirth. If you've been one of those listeners that's been with me the whole time, thank you. Because you've been through the iterations of rebirth and watched it grow and expand and you're all on the ride as it's becoming a book in the fall of this year, September 2022. But what's always been true about rebirth, the mission of the podcast is to to share stories of people listening to their inner guidance, intuition, um, whatever you want to call it, to courageously make choices. And this episode is a phenomenal capture of that. Let me first tell you how I found Krista Clotier. She's um, the guide, the muse, the grounding um, place for you to work with theworkingartist.com. Okay, theworkingartist.com. Specifically, as as it said, let me get you caught up. It's an award-winning training for artists. She has sold millions of dollars in artwork to museums and galleries and collectors throughout the world. And then she's mentored thousands of artists through different mediums. And it has actually served artists in over 60 countries. Okay, so she has a breadth. What's also fantastic is that she has a sense of um, integrity and inner alignment. And that's what she shares with us. How I found her, I want to tell you this, because you're going to notice a theme in season six about alignment, um, community, and creativity. And when I decided to make those the tenants of the season, the intentionality of it has been leading me to reach out to people. And we're, we're just delving right into resonance. And Yes, that is about me, but it's about us, right? Because we're humans and that works for us. So I found Krista through writing a um, blog for this really cool company in Soho that does bookbinding and printing. And I needed to learn more about um, the gallery relationship because that's not really my world. I don't... And in trying to find more out, like te- like logistically about that world, I found Krista's website and I, I honestly can't tell you now how. Maybe she was quoted in an article. Um, but what I enjoyed was after talking with her, the resonance that she was offering, that she was not simply, she was not selling you on sales. I got that right away. I understood that she was empowering you as an artist on your worth and why you should be paid and how you would climb through those blocks to get yourself set up into a place where what you're creating is giving value and giving you value. And I, and I hope I did that, that, um, snippet well by her. I'm delighted to meet this woman. We've met her at a fantastic transitional point in her life. She shares that with us. She shares a fabulous story about having it all and, and needing to stay true to herself and, and the signs and the signals that were there for her to listen to. I really want you to pay attention to that, especially if you're in a place in your life right now and you're like, I don't know what to do. Sometimes when we pan the camera out and we're willing to listen, the messages come in pretty quickly. So if you see yourself as an artist, or if you need this episode to remind you that your life is your art, enjoy the conversation with Krista Clotier. Thank you so much for listening to the Rebirth Podcast. <laughs> this is Kate with Rebirth, and we are here today. I'm very excited, actually, because this is a serendipitous uh, meeting and podcast with Krista Clotier. Did I say that correctly? Yeah. 
Oh, fabulous. With well um, Thank you. I, it's not one of my superpowers, never has been, um, even when I was a high school teacher, which is not great. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about um, the working artist and the work that you've done, um, bringing bringing into the world, uh, I think it's an interesting dichotomy, artists, because if a child or somebody that is new says they want to be an artist, people say, oh, you'll never make money at that. But then as soon as they meet somebody that has made it, they revere them. So I'm just curious how society thinks somebody would actually get from desire to accomplishment if we don't actually support the inception. Um, and I came to know you or find you um, through writing a business to business article about artists and, and a gallerist. And I actually didn't, I mean, I'm, I can put together what a gallerist would be because I understand the word, but when I wanted to educate myself to write on it for a book binding company, I got dropped into this world that I don't really know. And your work really stood out to me with your languaging about what I perceived as reaching out to an artist and validating the inception of their creativity. And I reached out to you and now we're here on the Rebirth podcast. So thanks for making the time. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so glad we found each other. Me too. So can you tell me a little bit about your journey into the art world? Like how did that traverse for you so we can orient to your story? Sure. Thanks for asking. Um, well, it's interesting that you talk about society not supporting artists because I grew up in a family of people who studied medicine, um, mathematics, and my brother's a nuclear physicist. Uh, so I wasn't really appreciated. My, you know, my art school degree was not applauded. It was, you know, like that was a dumb, dumb degree. No one even came to my graduation. Why would they, you know, it was one of those things. Mm -hmm. And even just the other day, um, I was sitting around the dinner table with my family and my nephew was talking about the college courses he was taking. And he said that uh, he's also taking an art class because he did so many honors courses in high school, he could afford to take a garbage class. And I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa. You know, I'm sitting right here. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what I do for a living, right? Uh, but these, these things, they don't go away. And right. this myth of, you know, you've got to have something to fall back on. And I don't know why I've always been, I think because I was the black sheep of the family, I've always had that drive to fall forward, you know, to not do what my family's really pushing me to do, uh, but to, to make my own path. And I think that as society, you know, we do look up at people who made it, but we don't really support them. And maybe that's why we admire them, because they did it themselves, because they did go against the odds, because they did fall forward and not back. Um, I love that yeah. term fall forward. I'll be borrowing that with, with credit. I think that's a great way to anticipate and acknowledge the inevitable fall, but it's your choice of which direction you go. I love that. I stole it from Denzel Washington, actually. I heard him talking about that, that when he was younger, that he decided that's what he was going to do. And you know, what other career path did we tell people you have to prepare for failure? And it's like, yeah, actually, you do have to prepare for failure because the path of an artist is failure, failure, failure. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to succeed. Actually, that path of failure is a success by choosing to embrace the challenges and continuing to to rise above them, that is the path to success. Um, for myself, 
my own path. I did go to art school and then I needed something to fall back on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I needed a mm -hmm. job because I had a lot of student debt. Uh, and I got a job in an art studio because that felt like falling forward. And I started what was out. Your, what was your job? I started out as an intern. I was, uh, assist, I was assisting the sales director. And it turned out that selling art was my secret superpower. I never knew I had the secret superpower, but I believe selling art is really just about relationships. And that is my mm -hmm. secret superpower mm -hmm. and organization, you know, and follow through. So I just jumped into it. I, you know, I thought I would just be like, you know, buying toilet paper and doing the filing. But instead, within a year, I had been promoted all the way up to director of the whole company. And you, for those yeah. of us on the outside of the art world, what does that mean? You're around what age and you're the director of the company. So just give us a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm in, I'm probably by this time I'm, because I went to college late, mm -hmm. uh, or I graduated from college late and got my master's. So I was probably around 30 sure. uh, when I, when I did this and uh yeah, it, the studio, it, it's an old fashioned model, this studio. Mm -hmm. It's where artists are invited in. We had a 5,000 square foot studio with printing presses and we weren't doing reproductions. These weren't G-clays. They were, we were using old technologies, hundreds of years old. So artists would come in and maybe they would, um, you know, engrave something on a copper plate or maybe they would draw something on a limestone and we would run that to the press. So the images were created in our studio. The technologies we used were really old. We did a lot of 19th century photo processes, worked with a lot of chemicals, <laughs> a lot of chemicals. Not a great side benefit, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't do that anymore. Um, but uh, so my job was to, well, it was pretty much everything. I found the artists, I invited the artists, I managed the artists. Uh, our studio was collaborative. So when an artist was invited in, we would gather around the table. We talk about what the project would be. Uh, we would conceptualize it. We talk about, you know, the technologies we would use. And then my job, my biggest job was to sell the art. Oh, right. Yeah, and I was, um, I guess I was a wholesale art dealer because I was putting that work in museums and galleries and collectors homes all around, well, all around the world, but mostly all around the United States. And so I was doing everything an artist has to do, only I was doing it for every artist who came into our studio. Wow. Plus we had, you know, backstock. So I was, I was creating marketing plans um, and branding, if you will, and making cold calls for, you know, probably 50 artists at a time. And I didn't realize then how that would serve me later, working yeah, with other artists. It's easy for us artists. to hear, hear now. No wonder you can really meet somebody and envision all the opportunity or potentiality for their medium or for the delivery or things they wouldn't even conceive. Message. Yeah. 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 That's yes. amazing. And, and so it was great. It was a I great mean, career. One thing I'm hearing, because I know where we're, I, I can hear, where, I know where we're pivoting, but what I hear is that people dismiss the art world, you were doing the hardest job of selling in, in an amorphous place. And I think that might lead us a little bit into your next steps, right? So you're, so you're, you told me you, you were in major avenues and different arenas selling art, mm -hmm. kind of living a fun lifestyle, I would imagine in, in some regard. It was really, really hard. I have to say like my ears hurt because I was on the phone so much. Um, I had no days off, you know, I tried to limit myself to three evening events a week, but I usually had, I, it was usually five. 
So it was like nonstop. I was traveling all the time. I was, you know, it was, I like to say I had the keys to the kingdom. I had, you know, I had power because I could pick up the phone. By the time I left my job, I could call any artist. I could call any curator. I could call any gallery. And that's, you know, that was, yeah, they would answer. Um, So I had power. I had inclusion. I had money. My name was known but I was so unhappy. So I learned that the keys to the kingdom are not what we're told they are, you know, especially I think if you have a calling yourself, my original calling had been an artist and I found this other path. And I really, I really struggled when I was offered the directorship because I thought this, this is taking me in a different direction. But then I thought to myself, you know, um, the greatest artists in history have had apprenticeships and we've lost that model. We have and lost that looked, model. Yes. Yep, I looked at this time as an apprenticeship. I got to pick up the phone and call all my favorite artists and invite them to come work with me. And then I got to sit at their feet and learn from them. You know, for better or worse, I learned a ton about art and who I am as an artist and what I really need to, mm-hmm. to succeed. I, I learned what success is. You know, I met some really successful artists and saw how they struggled with that, how they managed that, how they defined that, you know, some people more successfully than others, some people more gracefully uh, than others. It was an incredible education that I wouldn't give up for anything. I can hear how that offers an apprenticeship for people who work with you, even if that might not be, and I'll let you explain to us how people, you know, work with you now, but you're right that that attitude of, right now it's like pay to play, right? Like I put in Mm -hmm. my time and I should get the reciprocity of power that I have invested in. But apprenticeship is process. So your human self gets included and then you get to see behind the curtain, meaning king, king, keys to the kingdom are not the same as seeing like, you know, I, I tossed you, it must be really fun. You're like, actually, Kate, it wasn't fun because I was never home to enjoy what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. But that's not what we see on, you know, the projection of the life. And, and it's a polarity universe. So that there's both of those push pulls coming. So tell us how you, what was the pivot moment that, you know, on the, I would imagine on the outside and from what you shared with us a little bit about your family, your family was probably a little bit, you know, we all have that either we we've rejected it or we're working on it, but we all come from somewhere. So the opinions that birthed us are around Mm -hmm. and you probably had like social clout from what you were doing in your directorship. So what was it in this beautiful home that you had that made a pivot point for you? What, what, what was the leap? It was, it it was a couple things. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't feeling so challenged in my job anymore. Uh, I had been doing, I kept thinking, every day is the same, you know, it's great and it's exciting, but every day is the same. Mm -hmm. And I keep going to the same parties and having the same conversations, but they were different parties, you know, and they were different conversations, but something started to feel the same. And when I would look forward five years ahead, 10 years ahead, I, I couldn't see anything different. Mm -hmm. And that was scaring me. Mm -hmm. And I had, um, I, I had a job interview in New York. I got offered a very prestigious directorship of a, a really well-known gallery in New York. And I'm, everyone's like, wow, you made it. You're at the top of your game. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, I'm not sure I really want to play. And how do, I didn't know what to, I felt so guilty what about that. Yeah. What do you do? And there yeah. was a man sitting on the plane next to me coming back from New York. Um, and he had the bluest eyes I ever saw. And he just turned to me on the plane and was like, you know, if you could do anything in the world you want, what would that be? 
And I, I just said, I would move to the South of France and be an artist. I would be a writer. And he's like, why don't you do that? And I'm like, well, because I, you know, I live in the real world and I just got offered this fabulous job in New York. And, you know, then it all came out, the tears and everything. And he, he talked me through it. And I thought he was an angel. I still think I was he was like, an angel. I, I was saying, <laughs> the airplane angels, you know, that's yeah. one of the greatest things about flight. You're in between. You're not one place or the other. You're really receptive to those conversations. Yeah. Oh. And it's funny because on the flight to New York, I had sat next to another guy who turned out to work for my favorite sock company and they make a hiking sock. And he's like, do you have our product? And I'm like, no, it's my aspirational sock. You know, I don't, I don't actually hike. I wear high heels and I go to parties, but someday, you know, I used to live when I was in art school, I spent a year in a tiny village in the South of France and there was an American art school there. So that was kind of the thing that was in the back of my head. And I told him, yeah, I'd been to this place and I did a lot of hiking when I was there. And it's my dream that someday I'll hike again. Uh, and when I do, you know, I'll get your socks. So then I went to New York, had the interview, met the man with the blue eyes coming back. And when oh, I got wow. home to my house, there was a huge box of hiking socks. Oh, I just the, got chills. Yeah. The man on the first flight had sent me my hiking socks and I'm like, wow. And so little by little, I realized that this is really what I wanted to do. And then it, what I had to do. A friend of mine, she's an art therapist, and she would call that a destiny moment, you know, where it's, it's just that clear, you know, even when we're, yeah. we think we're not clear when you can pan the camera back and life reaches in that intimately. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Okay. Yeah. So between the socks and the angel. <laughs> but what did you actually do? Because sometimes people are like, and then, you know, I switched. But what does that actually, when you. Oh my God, wailing, mm -hmm. gnashing of teeth and way too much Chardonnay. Um, it was awful. The next few months were awful because sure. I, it was, I, I had a life. Um, one of the, one of the things that people do that I did when they're not happy is I bought stuff. You know, I had more, I had more shoes. I had more handbags. I had more dresses, antiques, you know, an art collection where things were like in storage. I just had so much stuff. And, you know, I had a lot of debt because I had all this stuff and it's like, there's no way I can go anywhere. I'm like trapped uh -huh. by my uh -huh. stuff and stuff. my debt. And then I just had this, you know, thank you, Chardonnay. Um, like, this podcast was brought yes, to you by Chardonnay. Chardonnay. <laughs> um, I just decided I could sell all this stuff and then I would be free and that, you know, that might pay off my debt and it might give me a little bit of a, yes. you know, a cushion to get started. So that's how it started. And then I'm like, okay, well, I need to find a place to live in France. I don't speak French. You know, I haven't been to this place you know, in like 15 years or something since I'd been back to this village. Uh, but I reached out to someone I used to know to see if they knew of any place I could rent. And they were like, oh, actually we're traveling for seven months. Do you want a house sit? I was like, the house, oh, sit. that's when you're aligned. Yeah. When yeah. the finances aren't lined up and you're actually serving somebody and the base is given, that is like crystal clear. Oh, I love yeah. this story. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, when I first lived in this little village in France, I used to walk past this house all the time. And there were certainly grander houses, you know, fancier houses, houses you could actually see from the street. This one was a little bit pushed back, 
but I used to always write in my journal, someday I'm going to live in that house. And I ended up meeting, you know, the owners and those are, that's the house I ended up living in when I isn't it sold everything. It, isn't it slightly suspect when you look at your life like that? And, and when you hear this part of the story, sometimes you can forget like all of the undoing, like the arduous yes. undoing, there's arduous work for life to, I, I, in my own life and stories, when life intervenes like that, it's, it's a declaration of the work that you've done that nobody's noticed the decisions, mm. you know, the leaps of faith, you know, somebody else could have the same moment and choose not to. Cause that's, uh, I'm just, yeah. just so yeah. beautiful. So you went to the South of France and you were there for seven months, I'm guessing, cause that's how long they were gone for. <laughs> and then, and then <laughs> what, then what happened? <laughs> well, I cried for the first month, like every single day. And all I could think is I totally fucked up my whole life. Sure. I just, thank you, Chardonnay for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was, it was terrifying because I really had no idea what to do. And I am a list maker. I am someone who's had this huge job, you know, and had 27 lists going and my list literally, it was so sad. I woke, I woke up and I'd be like, lunch, <laughs> you know, read. So I'm writing these things on my list because I had nothing to fill my time. Mm -hmm. And that is that, I don't know which was more scary, the selling everything and telling people who everyone thought I was insane to sure. leave this life. You know, where are you going? Mm -hmm. I don't know. What are you going to do there? I don't know. You know, mm -hmm. I was at the age where, you know, People don't, we don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that we, don't is a, do that. That, yeah we don't do that. We're here. supposed to think about security. We're not yeah. supposed to just like jump into the unknown. We're, do, we're but, doing timeshares and summering. We're not igniting exactly. our life on fire. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. But it all, it all worked out. You know, I ended up connecting with old friends. Um, I had had a little trip and I had spent a weekend in London and met a man in a pub and fell in love. And he came to France and started spending time with me. And so when it was time to leave France, I moved to England and started a new life there. And so I spent probably the next seven, eight years in England and then started going back to France again. And I'm just nomadic now. Yeah. I mean, that's a common lifestyle actually for people who love what they do, because some, some of the barter tends to be a releasing of a certain security for a different kind of security that's only known inside. Like you can't necessarily oh. prove it to someone. You can, you just have the, the feeling tone, you know? Yeah. So that is, and I think if you're living in that, sometimes you get bummed out of that for a little bit, like you're in it and out of it. And if mm -hmm. you're in it, then you sort of tend to gravitate towards people that are also in it. So you don't have to explain yourself, but then <laughs> when you cross populate, there are people like, what do you mean? You don't have any, you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't belong to a pool. It's fine. No, it's great. There's a whole other life out there. So when we talked before, I'm, I'm forcing a segue for the listeners oh. because there was something in this that I, I want to make sure we address and you were talking about how one of, if I recall correctly, please, you know, correct me that when one of the things about the directorship was like, you were holding people's art in your hands. Right. So what I'm hearing is you left. And then there's that phase, which nobody really talks about because it's, it's not the cute phase of the wings. It's the emulsification of the caterpillar where you're not your old mm -hmm. life, but you're not your new life, you know, and that's a recalibration. That's why you make lists like read, you know, like stuff, that, <laughs> <laughs> stuff you would have never had time to write down a year, you know, a year before that you're like, this is very important because we need to make yeah. sense. Right. Like I've had yeah. a phase in my life where my address was only good for, I mean, I would jumped into a dream, but I 
and I had saved a little bit, but I, I didn't have what I called the East Coast identifiers. I couldn't really tell you where I lived. I couldn't really tell you what I did. And I was petrified when somebody asked me because I had to have that wretched out of my hand, that comfort yeah. of meeting yeah. with a list. So I, I understand that. When you talked a little bit about the, I'll say the feeling tone of what you wanted to move away from was the judging of the art. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like you you took that experience and you kind of alchemized it for what you do now, right? So yeah, that's, mm -hmm. thank you for bringing that up. Um, because it's true. One thing I really disliked about my job is that because of the nature of the work I was doing, which was sales, I had to make judgments on art. And yes, I, I'm very, very highly trained at looking at art. I, I know what is good art. I know what is bad art. I know what marketable art is. I know what different markets are. You know, I'm trained as an appraiser. I'm certified as an arts valuer. So I get all that mentally, but in my heart, um, I don't want to tell artists, I can't sell your work for you. And it's not because the work is bad. It's because it wasn't right for me. And the, you know, gallerists, um, and art dealers have their own aesthetic because they have their own clients that they have to manage. So they can't just sell anything. And this is where a lot of artists really suffer because they think if their art is rejected, it's, it's about their talent. And it's not. It's about the audience of the person you're talking to. It's about that person's taste, that person's background. Um, so what I, what I really... What I really loved, I realized wasn't art and it wasn't the art world at all. It was um, artists and it was the creative impulse and it was the conversations that we had. And it was what I was learning from the great artists and it's what I was teaching to you know, the emerging artists. And I loved that space. And it, it took me a while to not feel guilty about that and to see the value in that. And that's very much what I do now. I work with artists, no matter where they are in their career. It doesn't matter, you know, if they're selling, you know, beads in a trailer park or, you know, beads in a museum. It, it doesn't matter to me. I just see the beauty of the creative impulse in everyone. And I believe anyone can succeed in the art world. Well, I actually believe it listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is about confidence and, and, and journey, really. Mm -hmm. Do you think you felt guilty because it was easy? Like when you said you felt guilty about this was the space that you wanted to hold? Because I sometimes think that we've been trained out of ease. And do you think that when you found your sweet spot of where you enjoyed to work with artists, do you think that it was like you had to like settle into it because it, it felt so good? Hmm. No, I don't think so. Um... No, I don't think I've really looked back from the, uh, not that it was easy. I don't feel guilty it was easy. I think I feel guilty that I had so much that so many other people want. And I didn't, not that I didn't value it, but I don't hold the same value for it. Um, I think, I think it was a conversation that with you you said something to me that really resonated with me was because I was explaining that my, with my own art, my career path isn't necessarily galleries and museums because I've, you know, I've spent so much time in that world. That's just not, 
I'm happy to help other people go that route and I understand sure. that route, but it doesn't really hold the same value for me that it does for other artists anymore. That I don't need that to validate myself, I think is what you said. And it doesn't mean that, you know, other people shouldn't or can't, but it's, it's just different for me. So sometimes I feel guilty about that. I, you know what I hear if I was looking to share my art in a larger way is that the confidence that you have of knowing what you, where you want your art, I'm going to use the word perform, meaning there is something about taking it from just you knowing it's alive to then putting it out to the world, right? So I'm, that's what I'm talking about performing. Like you're letting mm. go of that and you are doing the steps for the external. You can't just say like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to submit it. I'm not going to do the application. I was like, well, I mean, the world has some rules. You know what I mean? Like if you, yeah. if you want to get to that, you're going to have to choose some sort of performance, right? Mm -hmm. But what I'm hearing from you is if I was an emerging artist, you're more validating wherever I want my art to perform. And yeah. I think that's the differential, right? So if mine is a small scale mountain shop in, you know, North Carolina and somebody else is a premier gallery, you're like, they're both valid and they're both pinnacle moments. And I think that's kind of what we need more of is wherever you're, you know, you can tell I'm not in the art world, you're probably like, that's not even a correlative example, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say. If it's, if it's more that I just want my art to be seen in the world, or I want to be fed by my art, you know, making that decision too. Do you, do you help people figure that out? Because I would imagine there's some sort of like debunking of what it means to work as an artist. That would be my guess, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, debunking of uh, success too, how we measure success. You know, I work with so many artists who tell me that they want to make a million dollars a year. I'm like, okay, great. You know, why? And right. it always goes back to, well, that means I'm talented. That validates my talent. No, no. The two have nothing to do with each other. You know, it means the market has found value in your work and you, it's a sign of really good marketing to make a million dollars a year. I love that. I love that differential because you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're shooting for two different verticals. You're either wanting your marketing to be really good or you're making the art that speaks to your, you know, that I love right. that. Yeah. So like my own work, I'm a visual storyteller. So I put my work out there on the internet. Um, sometimes I do little performances or, you know, I do performances um, if I'm invited to speak somewhere. And that's, that's great. That's enough for me. I, my work gets seen. I get that feedback. I get to have that exchange, but it doesn't have to make me a million dollars. It doesn't have to, uh, you know, get me in the art history books. There's all kinds of different ways to measure success. So I really do encourage people to find their own measurement and their own understanding of what that looks like and then how to get there, of course. So tell us a little bit about how you work with people. Like what is the emerging artist? Like when you work with artists, the working artist, like tell us about your work now, because it, it really sounds like it's a, like an, it's a collaboration of your own journey. So the, the skill set is why it's not like you just said that sounds like a great title. So I'm going to put it online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's more than adjectives. We definitely know that. So can you tell us a little bit about it. Sure. Well, I was living in England. Um, illegally. So I was having a really hard time finding a job. And uh, I, I'd really hit a, I'd really hit rock bottom. Like my house in Arizona still hadn't sold and my mentor died. And I found out that, you know, this was like 2008, 2009, when everything was crashing, I found out I had to declare bankruptcy. And I was, I just felt completely like, what have I done? 
Right. You know, I have destroyed my life and now I'm living in England and I'm just being a drain, you know, with my partner and I'm losing all of my support and, you know, Calgon, yeah. take me away. Yeah, what this is do? not the, the expected reward for following No, no, <laughs> I was so angry. Um, but I have a, I was talking to a friend who always seems to have really good ideas. You know, those, those old mm -hmm. friends who just pop mm -hmm. up with something and he said, why don't you teach artists? I'm like, what are you talking about? What would I teach artists? And he said, well, why don't you teach artists everything you know about the art world? And he said, you know, I've hung out with you. People come up and ask you questions all the time. And I realized, yeah, those are the conversations I'm always having. People are always, you know, even strangers. I'll talk to strangers on the street about their art career because those are the conversations that I love to have and that come really easily to me. And I thought, okay, teach artists. Um, and I looked in my computer to see, well, what files do I have? from my old life as an art dealer that I could like, how could I put this together? What would this look like? What have I already got that would be in service to this? Mm -hmm. And this was another one of those moments. Um, I found a folder called, uh, with the unfortunate title of sell out, <laughs> how to make it, how to make it as an artist. I had written during my lab, during my career, I had been getting so many questions and that I had so many of these conversations that I had written a nine week syllabus I had written uh, a 50 page outline for a book. I had like just collected all kinds of documentation about what an artist would need to build a career. And I had forgotten about it. You like and, created your own terma and left it for yourself yeah. for when you could find it. <laughs> and I'm like, who did this? I don't even remember doing it. Do you know what I mean? I remember I what do. instigated it. Um, but I don't remember doing all this work around. I remember thinking about it, but obviously I spent a couple of years just collecting things quietly as I was doing my job. Mm -hmm. And so here I was, I'm like, okay, I'll put this together. I'll teach artists. And I was living in England. I started, uh, just traveling around. I would go to networking events and I had flyers, you know, and I told people, yeah. oh, I did this all the time in America. Like I never <laughs> got a workshop in my life. <laughs> um, but I started to travel around England and it was kind of cool and then travel around Europe. And then I got invited to South Africa and then travel around the States. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm onto something. And it was, it had become so much information by this time that it was a one day workshop that was like 10 hours long and people sure. were completely beat. They were saturated at the end they of were, it. Yeah. yeah. And so mm -hmm. was I. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. so I decided to put it online and brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I work now. It's an eight week program that's drip fed. And then I do coaching calls every month and people, even people who graduated, you know, five years ago still call on the coaching calls. So we've got a community going and I can continue to support artists as they're on their journey. And that's, um, that's what the working artist is. And, you know, of course, I've gone splintered off in different areas, or I'm splintering off in different areas around that. But what is one of your splinters that you want to share with us? You don't have to share them all. But what is one of your splinters? Sure. Well, um, I wrote a book. So I'm just finishing the proposal. So I'm going to get the book out there, a couple podcasts, and um, I'm starting to host retreats in the South of France, because it's given me so much inspiration. And I've met so many incredible people in France who are living really amazing lives and doing incredible, you know, not even necessarily artists, but living artful lives. So I want to start sharing some of that energy and inspiration that I found there. 
you tell me what you mean by an artful life? I mean, I, I couldn't, I couldn't interpret because you can feel when you go somewhere, if there's like a repetition, like you can just feel the thought form. I can, like when you go into yeah. a place and then you can go into another place and feel like, oh, people are smiling. Like, and there's like, yeah. <laughs> there's like this, there's a fluidity in the environment or in the, in the cafe or wherever you are. So, I mean, South of France is, is something people talk about, right. Of like the, that, um, the richness that they have there. So tell us about mm -hmm. what it has done for you. I love that it's a richness that's not dependent on money. Well it's, said. yeah, it, it feels to me that some of the wealthiest people I know in France live, mm -hmm. you wouldn't know they were wealthy. And some of the, the poorest people I know live, you know, in villas. And it's that, it's just really, to live an artful life isn't about, what you have, it's about what you give, um, not about what you get. It's about what you're sharing. It's about the joy that you're taking in your life. You know, we all work so hard. And I feel like sometimes I'm working, 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 crossing things off my, my list because they're bringing me closer to joy. But I want to work with joy. And I think that's what an artful life is. It's stopping to take lunch and to really enjoy your lunch. It's stopping when someone knocks on your door and having a real conversation with them instead of saying, you know, I'm busy, I've got five minutes. And then, you know, it's, um, it's going for walks in nature and really stopping to smell those roses. You know, it's surrounding yourself with beauty, even in really simple ways. It's about here and now and what you have. I, I agree with that. I spent some time living in the Hawaiian islands and I, Ooh. a couple of things that I noticed was the people who had the most money, you would never know. Um, yeah. The island that I was on, everyone had to shop at Costco at that time, not now, but if there were certain things you wanted. And I love that. I love that the, that they were more, the people that had more were more generous with it because everyone at that time was living there because they wanted to live with beauty like yeah as a thing not as something you possess but as something that you help perpetuate and i and i as my own self-diagnosed type a person <clears throat> i think being around artists helps you know like people might say oh you should take like a painting class or a ceramics class and i think you should i mean i've done that and i think you should because part of that and i'm talking about myself but people i know who listen to this will resonate like you have to start breaking that mold that of correctness or consumption. And I think when you start to partake in art, you know, or you start to create meals and you slow down to make them beautiful, like you're saying, or you take the idea, because I think sometimes if you don't participate in art, and I'm clearly not talking about for production, I'm just saying for yourself, you start mm -hmm. to remind yourself that everything doesn't have to be for somebody else or yeah. less. And once that starts to infiltrate your perception, it starts it pretty quickly will permeate out. But if you don't kind of break it, the, the narrowing point gets really nasty pretty fast. And I know nasty is a strong word, but I mean, if you drive on the road, you can tell, you know what I mean? Like no one <laughs> yeah. seems to have a moment for the fact that we're like, we are a cohesive family, whether we're choosing to live that way or not, if you mm -hmm brought your perspective out. And I think that's why um, I'm very drawn right now to have larger conversations about the intersection of art and life and creativity as, as part of living, not because I've done all the real stuff, like your nephew said, and now I can afford to waste my time. It's actually, <laughs> the, it's actually the inverse, I think, 
whether, you know, whether we are, are drawn to be artists or not, because I think all of us are, and I know you would probably agree with this, we don't all need to be artists, but I think we need to make more room for art and beauty as a culture. But I agree. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think art reminds us that not everything has to have a monetary value. And I think that's something that this society really strongly needs to be reminded of. I agree with you. You know, um, my sister reminds us that she takes my son's art and puts it in an Ikea matted frame. She's like, it's art. Uh All I've done is elevate it. And, you know, that might sound trite, but really, if we treated our own dalliances that way, we would be telling, I mean, that's what we're telling him, right? I don't, however he wants to live. I'm just letting him know at a very small age that what he takes time to create is a value. And I think we indulge that for a period of time. And then we kind of wipe our hands of it. And then somewhere during the midlife crisis, we wonder where, why we're feeling dehydrated. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, we, I think life always wants to lean forward with that. So if you're an emerging artist, we can work with you that way. But the retreats that you're doing in France, when you say artful living, does that mean that if someone is listening to this and feeling resonance with how you create that they could work with, you know, enjoy time yeah. with you? Absolutely. Um, I really want to expand my one-on-one work, um, particularly in retreats, to people who are looking to connect just with creativity. And I don't see my retreats as really like makers retreats. Where, like I'm doing a retreat in uh, 10 days, I think. <laughs> Tomorrow, right after I pop off of here. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, and it's not, you know, we're not going to make art. Uh, we're going to respond to the environment. We are going to be doing, you know, some exercises that way, and we're going to play a little bit. But um, my my work isn't really about get, getting artists to work on their craft. I'm more interested in helping all people to find their voice. And you don't have to be an artist to have a voice. And that's the thing that brings meaning to your life. That's the thing that uh, helps you connect connect with beauty. Um, that's that's a spirit in you. And I love working with artists and I am going to, of course, welcome artists to all of my retreats, but I really want to work with um, civilians too. I love that term. I would be a (laughs) civilian. And I think that there are people that after like in where we are now in 2022, they're starting to realize like, oh, I thought if I followed this trajectory, everything would be taken care of. And the mirror has kind of been like, if you don't make space for it, it's not going to get taken care of. And I think investing into the, your internal landscape is really where it's at now, because then that way, no matter what else is going on, you have the perception and you have the creativity really to make the the boundaries and the alignment. And I, I have to say, Aren't you headed off? So you're headed off to France. So like the inception of your um, turning point was being on the plane. And now we're having this podcast just as you, <laughs> as you leave, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everything happens on a plane. Everything happens on a plane. <laughs> so if someone wants to work with you, they would go onto your website, right? How uh-huh. does that, and you actually have some great content. So get, tell us your website. It's theworkingartist.com. Thank you for asking. And there is like a little uh, bar at the bottom so you can join my email list. Otherwise, it's my website is kind of set up like what kind of artist are you? And then you kind of choose where you're at in terms of making art uh, or your art career. But if you want to just join my email list, uh, that's not necessarily um, 
just for artists. I send out a lot of things, you know, a lot of free tools and information for artists, but a lot about creativity, a lot about inspiration. And that's really where I'll be promoting my, um, my retreats in the future is through that email list. Well, I joined your email list and I don't do it for all the guests. It's not like, I just, if somebody's listening, like, oh, well, she has to, I'm like, I know I don't actually, but I can personally attest that I loved it because one of your leading quotes that you share is that the, the, I won't get it exactly right, but like the responsibility of the artist is to create another artist. And I feel like that really shifts the mindset, you know, whether it's what you're giving to others or what you're creating internally, that it's more about creation than production. And I think if you're feeling like you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, how would I start? I think even just exposing yourself to the ideas that you're sharing is a great, is like a great way to start. Because I think just what you consume can, can bring about other serendipities, right? I mean, I found you through just being open and I, I think resonance is really what happened. So I would, I would encourage people to work with you, follow you on Instagram and, and, um, and if you're on the email list, then you'll know when the book comes out because I want to read your book. That's <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> and that's um, about art, right? The book is going to be about it's about, about it's process. about being an artist. It's about the process that artists go through. Um, and I think it's anyone who takes a risk. So that that quote, and it goes back to that: the real job of an artist is to create an artist. And I believe that's kind of true for all of us. You know, our real job is to self-actualize. And I think for artists, that the art itself, what we make is what we share, what we're learning on the journey. And that's to me is the life, a successful life of an artist. You're doing the work, you're, you're using your own art to explore what you're learning and to share it. So that's why your work is always changing and growing because you're always changing and growing. I love that because I think it tunes us back into the process of living. I think humans sometimes are feeling like, well, I'm got to the arrival point. And it's like, well, the elemental forces don't, didn't get that memo. So the winds are going to keep coming <laughs> to push you along. It doesn't matter if you've checked off your list. I mean, I love a list too. And I think lists are important, but I think that wherever our strength is, life kind of pushes us into our weaknesses because the idea is growth and process. And so I think if we could adopt more of that, I'd actually think you might find some things are harder, but you'd be happier mm -hmm. because, because the striving makes you feel alive. The pushing away the failure actually starts to, you know, you're, you're always kind of defending yourself against life as opposed to falling forward with it, right? Right. And I also think with striving, I think there's a certain point with the striving that you surrender. And I think that's part of the actual, the self-actualization and the growth is when you realize, oh, now I can just let go yes. and see where this is taking me. And that's, that's another level of the journey. So the journey is never um, over. You know, it's, it's, we say like we had my, my midlife crisis. And that means like, I call it a midlife correction. Love it. Yeah. Because yeah. it just shifts. It takes the energy in a different direction. Crisis is like, you know, something stopped and it, it the energy is just a little bit different. But if you, if you continue to ride the energy of self-actualization, if you devote yourself you know, to connecting with yourself and your spirit and these voices that tell you sell everything and move to France, you, know, you, you can afford to let go. And you gradually learn that. And it really takes you on a beautiful journey. And so we're, we're catching you as you're moving back, right? As I mean, yeah. this is... So yeah. 
it's an interesting iteration when you said it, change it from crisis to correction, because I think the term crisis actually goes against nature. I mean, nature moves in cycles, right? So there, I, someone had shared that this idea is, you know, when you're born and you're growing and life is, you're needing to take from life, meaning, you know, how do you walk? How do you become this? How do you individuate? What are you learning? And then all of a sudden around midlife, it's your turn to like turn the energy back. What am I gifting? What have I learned? What, when, you know, if I'm granted a life that is long, you know, what have I left from what I was given? And I think um, the correction is really a benevolence. You can see it as a crisis, mm. which is fighting nature, but you could see it as a correction where you're like, okay, I'm not enjoying this and I might be crying, but I believe there is a beneficence that is moving towards my growth. So it's interesting to me, and we'll have to stay tuned on your journey because of the you know, this iteration is, I'm sure, a different one. And when you've gone further down the path, you can tell us um, what was waiting for you in this in this journey that you're on. And we're really glad to be sending you off into this um, beautiful new iteration of, of where you belong. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it does feel like another start, another start. <laughs> that's, that's life, right? That's life. I mean, it's it, circles. I, I yeah. see it's like, it's, it's good if they're giving you another start, if they're like, oh, we'll just get your next time yeah. around. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know if that's so great. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to share your brilliance thank you, thank with you. us. I really appreciate thank you. it. It's been fun. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us on the Rebirth Podcast. Can I ask a favor? Would you hit like and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast? It would really help me get the word out. I appreciate it. See you back here for a next episode.